What can I tell you of the world When I know I've still got so much to learn How will I keep you safe How will you find your place What can I tell you of the world It was a time of darkness A time of loneliness A time of quarantine. And so it was, the two heroes rose and reclaimed their rightful place at the pinnacle of entertainment. Fear not, loyal listeners. It is time for a brand new episode of Trek West 5. Oh, the places you'll go with your eyes so wide With your heart in your hands and your sword at your side Oh, the mountains you'll move, oh, the tears you'll cry Oh, the places you'll go Little love of mine I don't don't know what number we're on And the Give last it. doesn't the matter. Last, the last few posts. Are, well, this is this is number one. This is Trek right. West Five Coronavirus Edition Podcast Number One. <laughs> I am Peter, and I am Joey. <laughs> so, uh, welcome everyone to this uh, inauspicious uh, podcast. It took a pandemic for Joey <laughs> and I to try and uh, start to do this again. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty sad. So you you actually went um, into our our website, or you went and looked back at stuff. How long has it been? Oh, I didn't even pay attention to that, dude. You didn't? Oh, you didn't remember no. seeing today? No. Okay. I know that our past three or four posts have all been Groundhog Day because <laughs> I've been doing that for a few years. I go on on February second and repost the Groundhog Day movie. And to those who are listening, that was all Joey's fault. <laughs> Come on. It's Groundhog Day. I have to do it. It's humorous. It is. It is. Um, uh, So it's got to be at least like four years. Yeah. I feel like it's it's probably it's at least four years. And our lives have changed a little bit in four years. Drastically. (laughs) Drastically. Like, Like, Peter, you've had probably the most change. Uh, yeah, I mean, the most chaotic of, you know, changes. I had a, I had a child, um, quit my job and, uh, my wife quit her job all within about a month span. So (laughs) it was like looking back on it now. Well well planned, sir. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I do it that way? (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, but now work at a great company, have a two-year-old son named Peter, um, for, for myself. And then, um, uh, yeah, everything's great except for the world's trying to kill us. Well, one particular part of the world. Yes. Small part. (laughs) Um, what about you? What changes have we, uh, well, let's see. I, so I think I've been through two job changes 
uh-huh. since we last recorded. And now I'm back working with you, Peter, actually at uh, Hoodoo. So that's a great company. We love working for them. I don't know if they want us mentioning them on the podcast. <laughs> I, just, I just thought for a second, like we used to have in the intros, the intro to the podcast, we would usually mention like we were sponsored by. Yes. We were sponsored by uh, Kirkham and friends real estate for many years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just got me thinking like, I hope we're still like, let's take out the old company that we used to work with. If we're, if we mentioned them as a sponsor, I don't I, know. I don't think do. so. The, the last time we had a company mentioned as a sponsor is Rocket Websites. Oh, okay. Which has been a little bit, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that doesn't exist anymore. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what, what other major life changes? Uh, I bought a home. You bought, uh, oh, yes. yes. I buying a home. <laughs> <laughs> you made a very big promise to get a lot of money. <laughs> Hopefully buying and not dying and leaving it unpaid for. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, The process of getting that uh, done, Joey, it, like the signature process where you're going through the title company and it's like yes. the day of, and it's like the, the numerous amounts of, of signatures that have to happen. Um, I, what was that feeling like for you? Do you remember it? I, I do. I do. I remember it quite well. And I actually remember the title company got pretty irritated with me because I never read something. I never signed something without reading literally every word of it. I really would have liked that to have been the other way. I never read anything without <laughs> signing it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it took me about six hours to sign my title paperwork. I'm and not I'm not surprised. And the guy was really getting irritated. He's like, really? You're going to read that one too? And I'm like, I'm about to sign my name to it. And I actually found a couple of typos and learned something about my property. I'm curious if you know whether this is true about your property or not. Uh, While I own, so I paid a huge chunk of money. I probably won't go into how much, but I paid a huge chunk of money for the house. I paid $10 for the land that the house sits on. Oh, interesting. But it clearly states in the title transfer for the land that I do not own mineral rights to any minerals found on my property. Yeah, that's actually kind of standard. Okay. Yeah. Who owns those then? I would assume like the governing body. So okay, the, so the government. The yeah. Okay, all right. I don't know that for it, a fact. It, it wasn't clear in the documents I got. It just said that it was clear that I don't own them. I didn't know if like the previous owner was retaining that ownership or he didn't own him to sell them to me in the first place. Yeah. So the idea is like, those are treated as a separate thing to purchase as, as I understand it from, um, you know, long ago when I think I learned about it. And so that prevents like a developer from just going into a place and like, Oh, I figured out that there is oil here. Right. So I'm I'm just going to go buy this land super cheap, not tell anybody, and like and be able to pocket all of this and set up my my derricks and and you know get all of this stuff. By the way, so, I don't yeah. know if you, can you see that everybody's in that shot? Like, I was looking at it. I was like, oh, I'm like sitting right in front of Tahani the whole time. <laughs> the, the best looking one of them as well. Here, I'll, I'll make it so you can at least see Cheaty. There you go. That's the, <laughs> that's the one. Oh, so strong. 
Um, yeah, so if we want to start to doing some mining, Joey, we were, we're going to have to put out some money. Okay. Buy the mining rights under our homes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should say at least that's at least Utah. I'm not sure of other. Okay. States. It may be similar. I, who knows? Who knows? Sure. No, I just, uh, that was, that was the two things I found the most interesting. One that, oh, I just jerked my headphone cable and moved my laptop. There you go. <laughs> No, I can't. By the way, I should have asked. Like, is is my sound quality coming through okay for yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, you sound okay. great. Yeah, and you're sounding great for me too. Awesome. Oh, I should sh- I should show you this before we get too far into this. I should yeah, have shown okay. you this before we started recording. Did you see what I have? Yeah, now? I assumed I assumed <laughs> what was going on there. Yeah. So um, I I do a weekly uh, recording for all the kids in my primary class, and I would sit in front of this white wall. And every time I would move my hands to talk, which I do a lot when I speak, I move my, wave my hands around, my fingers would disappear because <laughs> the camera thought it was part of the wall. And so I bought this, this green screen. It was like eight bucks on Amazon. How white are you? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that white. So, sort of ecru, I guess, is the answer. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so... Uh, signature process, long, tedious. Did you feel like, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, what am I doing? No. So we had lived in this house already for about mm-hmm. seven years. And I actually, I was okay with renting because it meant I didn't have to fix anything. Like if there were any problems with you, with the physical structure of the house or any of the, uh, what's the term I'm trying to think of? Like the refrigerator and stuff like that. That yeah. was all on the on the owner. And I was, I was okay with that. And then he called me up. Well, he actually, he would never talk to me directly. He always did it through, through the agent that managed the property. But the manager called me up and said, so the guy who owns your property, he wants to just basically check out of humanity and go live on a beach in Hawaii. He doesn't even want to have to go into town to pick up your rent check anymore. So you've got two options. You can either buy the house or you can roll the dice on whoever he sells it to being a decent uh, landlord. Yeah. And I said, ah, well, talk to my wife and yeah, we really like it here. We're not going anywhere. So let's just buy it. And so, yeah, the, like by the time I got to the point where I was signing things, I was all in already on owning the place at that point. Right there. I didn't feel this, but I know I've spoken to a lot of people who have, you know, gone through the home buying purchase uh, process and they're like, Oh man, what am I doing? Like I'm signing this 30 year thing. Like this is <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And I never really felt that because I had done the math and I was like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. Um, so that's good. I'm glad to know that you didn't have that sort of like overhanging angst of like, oh gosh, what what's going to happen? And we are paying our mortgage at one and a half. Oh, that's awesome. So I don't know exactly how much time that cuts off, but I know it's going to cut a few years off of the end of that. So it was interesting when they sat down and they showed me like this stack of papers, this stick that was the pay schedule. Uh-huh. It was like each month and how much is left in the loan and how much principal yeah. I'd paid and how much interest I'd paid. And so like going through that and looking at it month by month and watching that principal just almost never going down. <laughs> Yeah, that's the hard part because at the at the front there's like almost everything is going to interest and nothing's going to yeah. principal. 
Um, so you're smart. You're smart to, to be, you know, stocking, uh, stocking away some in, in the principal. How, did you do a 30 year? Yes. 30 year. Okay. I was just curious with all the coronavirus stuff and like the financial upheaval, have you considered refinancing down to like a 15 year? So I talked to my, the guy who gave me the, the loan in the first place. I can't remember the, what he's called loan agent, I guess. I don't know. No, I, I don't know. He had a specific fancy title. Yeah. That, He's Jeff. His title is yeah. Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so I, I called him up and talked to him, and he said that based on where I'm at with with my financial structure, that there's not really much change right now in the market that I would be in. He, he mm. said that because we went through uh, Fannie Mae. Okay. And he's like, yeah, Fannie Mae loans haven't actually changed hardly at all. He said, your best bet is to wait five years, like keep paying that one and a half for five years, and then come back and you'll be in a much better position because you'll have so much of the principal paid down that that will actually make a significant difference when you go to refinance. So Yeah, good. good. I, I just have to take his word for stuff like that, right? <laughs> I don't understand the math well enough to – and it's a sticky, big world to yeah. really get into that finance stuff. So, yeah. We, we we shopped around for a while for a loan agent that we felt like we could trust. I talked to a, a few of them. I called them back multiple times and said, hey, what if I – like I gave them tasks. I'm like, what if I did this instead of that? What could you do for me? Just to see at what point they kind of just pushed back and said, no, I'm just done talking to you. Or they stopped <laughs> calling me back, right? And then chose the guy that kept – kept interacting, kept being positive and engaged. And I was like, okay, that's the guy that I want to work with for the next 30 years. Huh. Although I, I, I learned almost immediately as I'm signing up the title company that, like, oh yeah, I'm not going to have your mortgage from this point going forward. I'm actually going to go sell that to somebody yep. else. I was like, wait, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was not made clear to me until I was signing paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That that's uh, one of those weird like parts of, yeah. That's what makes up a lot of the the securities that are in uh, financial institutions. Is this. Sure, yeah. Well, and so I knew that there was some of that. Like I read the book about the you know the twenty eight two thousand eight crash, mm-hmm. and so I kind of understood how those things get bundled by banks and stuff. But they never talked about it from the homeowner's experience and, and that first meeting. You know, that first experience of I got a loan from from Brian at Academy Mortgage, and then like within a month he had sold it to Wells Fargo. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's kind of, and he's like, no, that's just the way it is. And I was like, Oh, cause that kind of felt like a kind of a dick move, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. Cause uh, yeah, I ended up at uh, um, bank of America for many years. We refinanced through my wife's credit union uh, and then they sold it to another entity as well. So <laughs> So like, eh, whatever, I'm, yep. I'm paying, I'm making my payments and it, I'll be fine. I'm also, it's, it's been almost a year now that we actually, it's been over a year. So we're in our 13th month. Uh, I'm still getting letters saying, Hey, you should transfer your mortgage to us. We are really good and happy to deal with. And I'm like, guys, like <laughs> I've owned it for a year. I'm not changing at this point. Quit sending yeah. me the mail. Yeah. You're going to get it for a while. Yeah. It, it just, I don't know what mailing list you got sold on to, but like, <laughs> for sure, the junk is just going to keep coming. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so we don't have a Facebook find of the week. Um, oh. I certainly didn't look up anything. Okay. That's, and that's the only like consistent thing we used to, I think, kind that's of... That's not true. Okay, what have you got? We have a Jewish culture corner, sir. Oh, oh, are you going to culturize us? I am. All right. Joey's Culture Corner this week is a movie called Defending Your Life, which I thought blends in really well. So the premise of Defending Your Life, it stars, uh, oh gosh, what is his name? I know Meryl Streep is in it. I can't remember the, guy, the guy's name. He's curly hair. He's kind of a comedian in the 80s. Anyway. Robin uh, Williams? No. I have to look it up now. We're, I'm not going to be able to get past this. Who's in Defending Your Life? So it was made in like the, I think in the early 80s or, I don't know why it keeps coming up with Defending Jacob, and I can't type when the keyboard is so high above my point of view. <laughs> defending your life. What's really awkward is sometimes your your monitor is shaking where the thing is, and like, you shake all over. <laughs> <laughs> well, the background stays solid. People are like, what is happening? And I'm having a seizure. That's <laughs> uh, Albert Brooks. This is actually from 1991. Okay. So the, what happens is that Albert Brooks dies, and he goes to heaven, and heaven in this is a series of hotel rooms, and you get a, an attorney assigned to you. Okay. And there's a prosecution, and there's a judge, and the idea is you have to, to defend the decisions you made in your life to find out whether you're going to heaven or going to hell. Yeah. So you're living in the city, you stay in a hotel room, and the hotel rooms you get kind of already imply what heaven thinks about you as, or, sure. or I guess purgatory, not heaven, yeah. thinks about you as a person. So this guy who didn't live a great life, uh, he's stuck in a like Motel 6, and he eats at this all-you-can-eat buffet every day, every day for every meal. But he bumps into this lady who's living in an upscale part of town, Meryl Streep's character. Uh, she led a particularly virtuous life, and she eats at this, these fine dining restaurants with very personal experiences. So he goes over the course of the movie. He realizes that he made some not great decisions, and he's trying to defend himself. And as he starts talking to Meryl Streep's character, and she's like, oh, really? Because mine's so fun. We all just sit and we laugh and we review parts of my life and they keep showing. So in the part of the court cases that they will actually show a movie of a first person point of view of the event that happened. And then sure. the prosecution will say, this is why we think he doesn't deserve to go to heaven. And the defense attorney will say, Oh, the, you know, this is the extenuating circumstance that the court needs to consider in this case. And of course the guy and the girl fall in love and she's going to heaven and he's probably not. And that becomes the, kind of inciting incident to lead to the main action of the movie. So I don't give away the ending, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's a, a fun family movie to watch. I recommend everybody go check it out. Yeah. And really, uh, yeah, a, a great lead into the show that we have decided to kind of do. So that's, you know, great choice on your part to, to select that before we jump into the show. Like uh, the way that I pitched this to you was, Hey, do you want to do a Trek West Five Coronavirus Edition? Um, and uh, you know, since we're all basically stuck at our homes, right? Yeah, sure. And let's be fair, 
you and I weren't ever really traveling anywhere anyway. (laughs) It's not like we had these grandiose places to go that suddenly we've been chained to our desks. Um, We were both, you and I are well prepared for, for the, uh, the things that we shelter at home. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, but I was just curious, like, uh, before we get into the stuff, did you want to talk about anything, any of that stuff related to that? Like, I mean, because there's a lot of, like, governmental um, uh, stuff that's kind of going on that, you know, I, I for those that don't know, Joey has some strong opinions uh, about government decisions. Oh, and- yeah, we could do an Adventures in Republican. We haven't done one of those in a while. <laughs> Um, anyway, like we don't need to, I, I was just saying like, before we jumped into the, the yeah, TV yeah. show, like, is there anything you want to talk about or we could save it for uh, for another time? I'll just briefly mention that the frustrating piece is how much information is out there and none of it seems to agree with anything else. Like they're just, there's information all over the place. I have no idea at this point who we can trust, who has actually looked at all the data, who has actually making intelligent decisions. Yeah. I, I, I won't go so far as some of my political cohorts might to say that I think this is a conspiracy. Like I, I literally not. have had people call me and try to convince me that this is a conspiracy. I'm like, it, it's not a conspiracy. It's just idiocy. Yeah. In, in, in some way. Whether, I, don't, I don't understand the conspiracy route. I just don't get that. Like <laughs> you have to have a really jaded opinion of humanity. Yeah, fair enough. I think there are those people who exist out there that, you know, given the opportunity might try and and do something really terrible, but I just, I'm so aghast at, at some of the, the crackheads. Yes. It would be, it would be hard to live that lifestyle where that's what you think about other human beings all the time. Right. Yeah. That's, that's your stance that you take on everything that happens is wait, somebody's out to get me again. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I do, maybe I'll comment on the fact that what you said, uh, the, the information that is out there is not well organized um, and quickly becomes out of date. Um and there is no centralized like person who we can say, okay, you're the guy who knows all about this. And I think that's an, that's probably a symptom of the fact that this is a brand new thing. Although, you know, it's a, a an illness, a disease that is affecting the entire world in an epidemic pandemic society, uh, a systematic thing, but we don't know anything about this specific one. Right. And so it's like this constant catch up, like, okay, you know, the mask, wear a mask. Yep. Um, it, it, you, um, don't touch your it, face. Yeah. Don't, or, or the, you know, oh, it's only if you have a fever and a cough. And now it's, you know, tons more stuff that, uh, like, go get tested if, if you have this stuff. And it's sort of like, it's hard sitting on the sidelines and listening to this and, and feeling so much change. And it's from my perspective, it's, I, I, I'm understanding it and I'm lucky enough that I can sit back and say, okay, 
I'm all right. I don't need to, you know, go out into society. I can stay back. I'm one of the very lucky ones. I can work from home. I'm, you know, financially secure. I have food storage, you know, like crazy. I'm comfortable in, in, in all of this stuff. And I, I, if there was a person, right, who could it be? Is it Dr. Fauci? You know, is it our, our favorite YouTube uh, doctor personality, yeah. right? It, who, it's, it's none of them in reality. And it's not going to be any of them for, I would say at least six months. Do you ever read the Babylon B? No. Uh-uh. It's a satire newspaper along the same lines as say the onion. Okay. Sure. Okay. They, they did a, an article a while back about how Dr. Fauci is actually a mass hallucination of the American people. Oh gosh. <laughs> he doesn't actually exist. We just hallucinated him into being because we needed somebody that we could trust to give us information. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so my point was it, it is hard and frustrating for a lot of people, and I, I totally get that. And I'm, I just feel lucky that I can just sit back and say, like, okay, whatever is being said, I'm just going to take the more conservative route in, in what we do. And, you know, in, in my household, um, my wife is kind of considered immune compromised. And so we're taking a little more extra cautiousness, uh, in, in what we're doing. I, I see some stuff that, you know, people I know are doing and, you know, even my, my personal church congregation are doing, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Um, but they live in a different situation, a different, uh, and I just have to accept that and say, okay, you people are off doing your thing and this is what I'm doing. And I'll just take whatever information I get and, you know, pass it through my filter of, does that smell right? I I will say one interesting development out of this whole COVID-19 thing is the number of people who are suddenly very comfortable on webcams all the time just doing their whole lives that way. Right. Uh, especially like our kids go into school, they're on school all day long with a various teacher. Like most of the day they will be in a web presentation with some teacher or another. Yeah. And it's just, it's just been an how, interesting shift. Yeah. I don't understand how that happens. Maybe we should save that for another, okay. for maybe the next time is like the school situation. Um, uh, I can definitely complain about that for a few minutes. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I have questions. I would like to ask what it's, what it's like, because I don't have a child going to school. Um, But yeah, let's save that um, for, for another time. Um, Should we jump into the show? Let's do it. We haven't even told everybody what the show is. No, we've told no one that we're even (laughs) recording this. So I mean, in the video today, we haven't mentioned the show by name. <clears throat> Although Correct. I've given it away. <laughs> yeah, we did say the names, didn't we? We did. If, if you're a fan of the show, if you've been watching. So I said, hey, let's do a thing. I suggested Voltron because you had mentioned that you thought this Voltron series was like really great. And so I, I, I started, am enjoying it. I started watching it and I'm up to like season two some somewhere, um, which I got to say, like, do you really have to keep? showing Voltron getting formed like every, every episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, look, it's a solid three minutes of every episode that they don't have to think about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the cheapest writer's trick in the book. 
Yeah. It's yeah. a 22 minute show, but we only have to write 19 minutes because we know we're going to see Voltron transform at some point. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, you had, you said, no, let's do the good place. Uh, yes. And I'm like, okay, I've heard good things about it. Not watched it. Let's, let's go into it. So I, I do want to give a little bit of background on that suggestion. Uh, yeah, my, yeah. My wife and I watched season one together and she hated it. She decided this was not her thing. Oh, she was wow. not interested at all. She's gotten to this point where anything that tries to be funny, she just decides, I, w- I don't want anything to do with it. I just want drama. I just want emotions being yanked around from episode to episode. That's what she wants now. That's the, that's the phase that she's in with her entertainment. And so because this had a funny bent to it, she was turned off and was not interested. So that means... So she's not interested in the humor emotion. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that means I haven't had anybody to talk about the show with. Uh, And I loved this show. I thought it was uh, like the sense of humor hit for me on pretty much every joke they ever tried to make. I thought it was hilarious. But then I actually have finished the entire show and I got to the end of the show. And I did mention, I think with you, uh, I think you were in one of the channels where I was chatting about this, where I said, I'm not going to say I cried. Mm-hmm. I definitely choked up a little bit. Like there was some, there was some emotions sitting right in here that yeah, I felt yeah. strong emotions about these characters. So um, I have really enjoyed this first season um, and the, the roller coaster and the, <laughs> uh, what do we just call it? The, 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 the blatant trick, uh, <laughs> you know, there at the, at the end of, of, of the season, the twist, um, yeah, I, I I have really enjoyed it. It's been great. And I'll say this because you brought up your wife. My wife was really tickled by this as well. She quite enjoyed it. And I think if she weren't in the process of um, doing so much with her book and feeling like it, whenever she watches TV, she's just wasting her time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she would really stuck through a lot of this because every time I had it on and she happened to be around, she would come and sit down. Interesting. She would kind of watch it, and you know, she she would you know make comments about different characters, like oh, what, you know, and, and I was like, oh, she clearly enjoys watching this. She's engaged. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Okay, so historically, we have only done a few episodes per podcast, and I don't know that we've ever done a show that was only a half an hour long per episode. Yeah, I right? remember. I'm I think sure. they've all been an, an hour long. Probably Even right. the comedy one that we did, um, Studio Sixty. Studio Sixty. Is, so this is thirteen episodes for the season. We said let's just do it all in one. Yep. Right. Let's roll. Easy enough. Um, I took some notes. I have like a page and a half for the entire season. Not a ton. I was I got into this and I was like, let me just see if I can enjoy it, and I did. And so I was like, okay, well, let me start jotting some notes down. But I have sparse, so it, if you have a lot, I'm. I have a few. I've got about. I, like I don't want us to feel like we have to explain every episode and the plot as it goes through each one. Um, but do you? Where do we want to start? Well, let's start with episode one summary. Okay. Everything is fine, is the title of this episode. Yeah. Eleanor Shellstrop, a genuine dumpster fire of a human being, (laughs) 
dies and is accidentally placed in heaven. I thought you might enjoy that. <laughs> it's a good description of her, uh, as we come to find out. Um, so the premise is... Um, uh, hold on, I, I wasn't done with the summary yet. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. That's sorry. okay. While hiding in plain sight from Mar- Michael, the architect of the good place neighborhood she's been assigned to, she attempts to convince her universe-assigned soulmate, Chidi, to help her improve herself so that she can fit in before she's found out. Yeah. Before they can really begin, they discover the catastrophic side effects of Eleanor's presence in the good place. Yeah. Okay, so the idea is she's dead, and she made it to the good place. And it is a very binary, you're either good or you're bad. Yep. And they base it off of, you know, math and the, the choices there's you make. There's a point and, system. Yeah, there's a score that you receive based on, on what you do. And, and they say several times, it's very selective. Most <laughs> people end up in the bad place. The very, very few, only the best of the best. In fact, they're talking at one point, and she's asking, who would I be surprised that ended up in the bad place. He's like, well, most of the U.S. presidents except for Lincoln. (laughs) And she's like, well, what about Florence Nightingale? No, it was close, but she didn't quite make it. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess maybe I just don't know enough about Florence Nightingale, and maybe that's a deeply funny joke, but I at least chuckled at at what was was on the surface of it. Uh, I, Um, I, I wanted to start off really quick and just say, Something new I learned in the process of watching. So this is created by Michael Schur, who was involved in The Office and Parks and Rec. Oh, he did Office. He, he was a writer on The Office, I believe, and creator of Parks and Rec or something. I can't remember exactly what his roles were there. But uh, so I knew who Michael Schur was by name. I knew that name. I remembered seeing it in The Office subtitles. I remember seeing or, or credit cards. I remembered seeing it in Parks and Rec credit cards. So I remember, I was like, oh, Michael, sure, I'm going to check this out because I like that guy. But it actually wasn't until after I had finished this whole show that I discovered Michael Schur is the guy who plays Moe's on The Office, Dwight's cousin Moe's. Oh. So now you have in your head who that guy is as you're watching these. Oh, my gosh. Chin beard extraordinaire, right? And do you remember how he ran? Yeah. (laughs) So funny. He was a great character, that's for sure. Um, okay, so the general uh, notes I had here. Good, good place, bad place. Who arbitrates that, right? And that was just sort of my vague sort of question at the very beginning. Like, how do they who, – who's coming up with what is intended as good and bad? Um, and I, to be determined, right, in, in general for the show, and we'll get into that. Um, yep. We'll get uh, into that when we see Trevor. I'll be talking about that when Trevor comes on. Trevor's one okay. of the bad place demons. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I also wrote home is a perfect place for you. So he, he, he made that perfect little house for her. Uh huh. And then she's like, so that's why I have something like this. While other people have that. <laughs> so it's literally 10 feet away. This giant I just thought the best part of that was the positioning. Like she's basically in the side yard of the mansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that so I think my question was like, what is the perfect home for you? You've got a home yep. now, right? It's great. You love it. It's your home. Is that the perfect home? Is that the perfect place for you? If you could design it, what would what would it be? What would are you, you are you only asking about physical structure? Or are you talking about 
how I define home? Because those are different things for me. Um, I would say, let's talk about uh, the house, the physical structure, the property associated with it, not the interpersonal relationships that would need to exist within there. Okay. So the, the physical structure of what we have, we actually don't love, believe it or not. <laughs> um, Dee Dee thinks the kitchen's too small. There's tons of things now that it's our house that we're, we're going to change. We're going to rip up all the carpet upstairs and put down a hardwood laminate flooring. And okay. um, she really wanted a much bigger kitchen than what she got. Uh, for me, the most important thing about the physical structure is do I have a good fiber internet connection? I, <laughs> I have Google fiber and it's fantastic and I don't have any complaints there. I also have Google fiber. Ooh, you got yours, huh? Yes. It got, it got installed like right before we all went on lockdown. Okay. And so like, as everything was kind of like coming real within the United States, there was this like, Oh, coronavirus is a real thing. It's not just a China virus. Uh, I had made my thing and like the guy came in and he, I was like, I got so lucky that I got, <laughs> cause I'm sitting on like 450 down. Yeah. 350, 400 up. Like that's just incredible speeds. I, so uh, I have yeah. the gigabit, which is awesome. I love my gigabit connection. And everybody uses my network connection for everything. So (laughs) (laughs) kids show up in your driveway. Hey, Mr. Smith. I I have neighbors come over and stand in my driveway with their phone. (laughs) I'm like, what? All right. (laughs) (laughs) I did give you the Wi-Fi password. (laughs) So let me ask you this. The the physical home, I get that, you know, you would probably redesign differently. Yep. Property wise, like, would you want a larger space, like more opportunity, like potentially for like a grass yes. area? So we actually we, own where we own. There's a, a slope that goes down off of our backyard. So we actually are positioned on the side of a fairly steep hill. So we have a, a very short front yard and then a slope and a very short backyard and then another slope. We actually own our property runs to the bottom of that second slope. And at some point, we're going to put in a retaining wall at the bottom of that slope, fill it all in, and create the yard all the way out to the end of our property line so that we have a little more space. Because Dee Dee wants a barbecue pit and fire pit and stuff like that out there, all bricked in and things like that. And so that's that's just one of those eventual someday projects. What about, uh, like, is there any desire in your place for, like, you know, this uh, uh, farm farming, like, to grow your own crops and put, you know, have your own fruit sure. trees. So our, our neighbors, uh, garden, they have a very large garden, actually. I guess two people, two doors down the, down the street have a pretty large garden and we get a lot of fresh vegetables from them every year. Cause we go down, help them weed and stuff like that. And then they pay us in some of the bounty that that garden delivers. Nice. Um, and she has said, Hey, if you guys ever want to, the wife of that family has said, if you guys ever want to do any gardening or anything, I'll come down. I've been doing this for like 30 years. I can come down and show you, let's pick the best spot for it. Let's lay it out. Right. Maybe pick some easy crops to get started with and things like that. And I grew up gardening. My parents, we always had a garden, so I'm not super unfamiliar with it, but um, not, that's not really a priority for us. We do. Oh, I forgot one of the changes in my life. So when we got a house, 
You know her. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For years, my daughter had been saying, Dad, can we have a dog? Can we have a dog? Can we have a dog? And I'd always said, honey, we rent our house. We don't own it. And the lease doesn't allow pets. So when we sat our children down to say, hey, we're going to buy this house, first words out of my daughter's mouth, (laughs) we can get a dog now. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, you called my bluff. I, I, I have to reward that kind of fortitude. Like, so yes, we have a dog. Uh, he's actually a, a pretty good dog. We got we got a dog we're pretty happy with. Although he's a border collie, which means he is very active. He wants lots of walking and lots of activity outside. So we eventually want to put a fence in where he can just be let outside to run around because he was a stray. He was a stray for about two years before we got him, and uh, so he runs away. He. Like he's just out there living in the wild. That's natural for him. Uh, so we have to keep him pretty tightly leashed and things like that. We can't just let him wander around. He, he's gotten to the point where if we're out there in the yard, we can kind of have him in the yard with us. But if anybody walks by or any other dogs come around, he's gone. And good luck getting him back. You chase him for a few hours to get him. So, uh, But, yeah, that's the, the, the fence so we can have the dog is actually a higher priority for us than a garden or anything like that. Gotcha. It is, it is interesting. So I, I bought my home in April and in September got a letter from the HOA saying, Hey, come to the first, you know, come to the HOA meeting. It's an annual thing. Come on down. My wife's like, don't go. (laughs) I'm like, look, Han, we, we bought the house. We should participate in this stuff now. Don't go. You're going to end up getting assigned something. I'm like, it's going to be fine. Please quit freaking out. So we go down to the HOA meeting and here's two groups of neighbors screaming at each other. They held the HOA meeting out, outdoors in the, in the basketball court that the HOA owns. And they're standing on opposite sides of the basketball court, yelling back and forth at each other, just really nasty language at each other. And I walked over and I'm like, what on earth is going on? I'm talking to one of the guys that I know well in the, in the neighborhood. And he says, oh, well, these guys over on the other side of the basketball court, they want to get out of the HOA. They don't want to be in the HOA. And I said, well, I, I can appreciate that. I can totally agree with that. What's their basis for wanting out? Well, it turns out the developer who owns the, who first built the community, he was trying to build like this upscale gated community and it was going to be really high-end, fancy neighborhood. So he didn't file the paperwork right and then never finished building out the gated community. And turns out that half of the properties in the community actually are not technically in the HOA. Uh-huh. And so those people, one of those people went to go sell their home and their lawyer went and did the paperwork and realized, wait, you're paying HOA dues, but you're not technically in an HOA. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, look right here. Here's the paperwork. It shows, the boundaries that are defined, your house is outside those boundaries. So I'm listening to these guys yelling back and forth, and they get to, okay, there's elections for the board. So I walk across the court to the other group of people. I'm like, hi, my name's Joey, brand-new homeowner in the area. Give me your side of the story. I listened to this guy for a few minutes, and I said, okay, look, I, what you're saying makes sense to me. I obviously need to go do my own research, but if you are right, I say you should be let out of the HOA. If you will vote for me on the board, I will do the best thing, best that I can to get you out of the HOA. So I get elected to the board. 
go to my first board meeting and they're like, oh, yeah, well, Joey's the newest guy here. And we always like to have the newest guy be president. All those in favor of making Joey president of the HOA board say aye. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Do I get a vote here? They're like, well, you get one vote. <laughs> so I end up president of the HOA board, and my first act is to cut the HOA in half. And still working on that. The legal paperwork has been a nightmare. It has taken about, I think I counted it up last time, it was 180 hours of my time spent on the phone with various people and lawyers and the HOA management firm and things like that, trying to, trying to get this thing sussed out. And now I've forgotten. Why I got, oh, you were asking about property. That's how I got on that tangent. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I am, my wife called it. I went to the HOA board meeting, got elected to the board, and I'm now the president of the HOA because nobody else was dumb enough to do it. <laughs> yep. and you have no idea how many people hate you now. Oh, they all do. And that's just yeah. fine. <laughs> and we'll so talk it, about that. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's that point that like, I would think your dream home, though you didn't get into any more specifics here, would include a lot more space. Yes, lots of land. Yeah, I grew up in a farming community. My wife grew up as a cattle rancher's daughter. We were both used to having a lot of land. Unfortunately, a lot of land and decent amenities and nice internet connections don't often coincide. So when when I evaluate what actually matters to me, the internet connection is far more important to me than the lot of land and the community that we live in and, and the access to easy grocery shopping and things like that are valuable to my wife. And so it was a decision that we made really without much hesitation. It was, yeah, I was talking to a friend uh, who lives back in the, you know, a uh, community where I grew up very rural and he, you know, we got talking about internet connection. You know, I was, saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get um, uh, it, it, um, uh, Google Fiber. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, do you want to guess how what my internet speed is? <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't know. 56K dial-up? Oh, three. <laughs> three megabytes. That's actually pretty good. I was like, holy cow. Like, I couldn't go back to that. <laughs> and that just sounds so awful. And so, like, it, I would love a rural existence as well. I would love to have, you know, an acre between me and my closest neighbor yeah. um, kind of thing and, and a chance, you know, just to stretch out. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Make some noise and not have anybody complaining about it. We get notes on cars down here. Like if, if you park in front of someone else's house, they'll come put a note on your car, even though there's nothing that says that that's no. it's perfectly legal. They still yeah. want to leave a nasty note on your windshield. So. Yikes. I have right. one last note for this episode, uh, but I, I talked for a little while, so did you want to bring something up? Uh, in cases of traumatic or embarrassing deaths, we erase the memory to allow for a peaceful transition. Hmm. Would you still chase, having heard that sentence, would you be like, no, I want to know how I died? I think I would take Michael's word for it and be like, all right, let's leave it at that then. (laughs) Uh, Oh, gosh, tough to say. I I think I still might want to know. I I think I'd still want to know. All right. Uh, I loved Engorgulate. That was the name of the boner pill that 
<laughs> the truck was advertising that killed Eleanor. It's just, it's such a great word. Like, I wonder how long the writer's room sat around spitballing ideas of something. like, wait, I got it. Engorgulate. That's <laughs> uh, uh, funny. Um, so one of the, the big philosophical statements here is, um, you know, talking about the, the good decisions and the bad decisions and, you know, how they weigh each other out. And I wrote down uh, a question, which really actually comes up in a later episode, but what if a bad decision on your part helps someone else to do good? Does, does that mitigate some of the bad associated with your initial thing? And I have an answer for that. I, what do you think? Well, so the the way that Michael explains it is he says, every action you take put an amount of good or evil out in the universe. So I think that that good would come into into effect because he talks about how they're measuring the good that you put out in the universe. And even if you're, the good you put out there was accidental or is a byproduct of an evil act, it wouldn't offset, but it might take some of the evil points away. So I don't think it should. Okay. I don't think it should have any any influence because those were your actions, hmm. right? What somebody else does in their life is is a, their choice. A, a summation of a bunch of different decisions that were made by hundreds of thousands of of people that you know maybe you've never met, right? And so there's just no way to control it. Like your decisions are your decisions and they, they cannot be like, that's why the, the whole um, um, Christianity thing, like we needed Judas Iscariot to do what he did. So in the end, he was a good guy because Jesus needed to be on that cross and die for all of us. I see. I had not heard that argument before, but I see what you're alluding right. to. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's this idea of just because you do something, but it causes somebody else to do something good or improve themselves, like you've made life really hard for your kids and it forced them to grow up and be these, this better individual, right? And, and so they are this more solid individual in society. You don't get thanks for that. Mm. Like you were the, toad. Yeah, I, I disagree with you. Uh, really? Yeah. That yeah. surprises me. That genuinely surprises me about you. I, I feel like as much as I don't get along with my dad and d- did not appreciate growing up as his son, I feel like he should get some credit for the fact that I can, I, I have something to lean on as far as, how I became a human being, how I even became, let's say, a man. I think he, I think he gets some credit for that. I thought, sure. I think he taught you the things. Yeah. But in reality, the 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 good that has happened is your good. You took what that was and you said, "I'm going to be this because of it," and it is your decisions that have allowed the good to happen. I'm not saying you have a lot of good about you. <laughs> a little bit here and there. But definitely more than what your dad uh, should ever be able to give credit. You know, give credit. I, that's what I'm saying. Is I'm not saying you get all of the credit. I'm saying there, there's a partial credit there, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Uh, this actually brings me to one of my questions, though, which is, did you, Peter Nash, study any philosophy in college? Um, I did. I took a philosophy of religion class. Okay. Gated through it. I barely read any of the things. I felt bad <laughs> about it. And so I kept all of the books. Instead of selling them back at the end of the year like you do, I just kept them all because I was like, uh, I'll read these Sunday. You still have them? Still, I still have them. I have not read them. <laughs> Uh, I, so I think it's interesting. We'll see this over and over again throughout the series, but they're in heaven. They're trying to keep Eleanor out of hell. And yet all of the approach that's taken to try and help her become a better person is very secular. There's very little discussion of religion or yeah. of, I mean, so they talk about morals, but it's always from a purely secular interpretation of morals. I, I just thought that was interesting. And I don't have, I, I didn't go to college. And so I was just curious as a, as a college graduate, what kind of requirement was there for you to learn something about philosophy or understanding of the, the world and how it views things? Yeah, I don't know. I, lot, I, think huh? I think it's a great idea. And, but it's one of those, um, is it a humanities? I would no. assume so. I, it, it's one of those courses like you could take it okay. or you could take one of these other dozen other ones and okay. it will satisfy the requirement um, kind of thing. So I think it's a good idea and people should give it, um, especially people who want to consider themselves religious. I think it would be a good idea to really sit down and, you know, shine a spotlight on certain things because sure. – from a religious perspective, I think there's a lot of things that they're like, oh, well, this dogma that I have been taught is that's reality and good things. Well, in reality, that is just a philosophy. Right. right. And there's, there's a much more nuanced and bigger world to this than the, the sheltered idea that you may have been brought up in. Anyway. I, I do enjoy so there's a there's a really good video lecture series. Actually I don't know if you can get this anymore. I watched it years ago when they still had a thing called iTunes University. Hmm. It was a lecture on philosophy given by a Harvard professor and they filmed all of his lectures. And it's not your standard like open classware, open courseware lectures. They actually like had professional camera crews and multiple angles and you know, he's turning dramatically and <laughs> like, like they really had high production value for a university lecture series. Uh, anyway, it was highly entertaining. And I, and I found it really interesting as he talks about things like Jeremy Bentham and John Locke and Kant and, and some of these people. And I found it interesting as he did that, I just kind of tried to pick out. So I am very firm and very opinionated in my own philosophy that I've developed largely independent of, of anything else. I've, t I've taken all the information that comes in and I synthesize it and come up with what I think makes sense to Joey. And so as he was going through, I'm like, oh, okay, so I believe that. And I don't know where I got that belief from, but there's a little bit of utilitarianism in me and there's a little bit of sure. of John Locke and there's, you know, Bentham. And like, I'm, as I'm going through, I'm just like, oh yeah, I've got a little piece of content in me sometimes. And, and really enjoyed that aspect of, trying to figure out in the larger framework of where all these things that I believe 
come from and what and where you know like if you take that one idea and laser focus on it and put blinders on about every other possible truth that there is and expand it out so it defines your entire universe here's what that idea turns into eventually and it kind of helps you see the slippery slope of some of these ideas and things like that whereas i look at them i'm like yep i only took just enough of that that it felt right to me and then i stopped (laughs) pete uh there was another question i was going to ask you is what do you think about soulmates okay um that is i i had that question (laughs) written down what what episode is that in that's in the first episode she meets cheating it is yeah that's true we we are introduced like we're told like hey here is your soulmate um i was just trying to see if i could find the the question i had formulated i i don't know um I don't think there is one special person meant for you. I find that too narrow and rigid. Okay. I think if you are a genuinely good person, you can manage to get along with and have a relationship with anyone. As long as that other person is also just as open and as honest and invested in you as a person. Right. So I, I don't think I lean towards the soulmate thing. Like my wife, I, I have thought about this over and over and over again. Right. She, she ticks all of the physical boxes, right. She's gorgeous. I, I find, I like her hair. I like her body shape. Um, I like her facial features, like physically everything works. I knew a lot of other girls where that also still was the case. Um, But over the years of being married to her now, it's like, I think about the other people, the other women that I dated or had um, romantic interest. Yeah. I don't know that that's too strong, but yeah, that's, that's all down the right path. Right. Um, I can't think of anyone that would have been a better fit for me that would have melded with where, you know, my positives are and my negatives that she fills in with her positives and makes the relationship work. Right. I am an incredibly arrogant, almost narcissistic person um, at at times. And uh, I am very impatient she is able to just deal with that. And it's just this relaxed individual. And just like, I mean, she, she points out things that are wrong and it's like, uh, okay, yeah, I get that. And I'll eventually get around to changing that, but she's just fine with me getting there. Well, she may not be just fine with me getting there, but thus far the relationship has indicated that she's okay with me getting there. Um, so it was a good fit and I think other people could have been, but she has clearly based off of the relationships and what I know of people who technically I've known longer, who I had considered, um, she's vastly superior. I don't know that anyone would have ever been able to have had the, the level of patience necessary to, to be with me and have us have a healthy, nurturing relationship. Interesting. 
So you're saying no, but kind of yes. Well, I'm saying no, <laughs> and I um, I got a person that is extra good. Okay. For- okay. Yeah, I-, I think I think if I were less of a bad person, it could work in other. Like I have negatives that you know, if they weren't there, would work really well, and, and I you know. That it, there would have been a broader selection pool for you that would have been a good fit. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually, so I think when I was 13 or 14 years old, I decided this is the kind of woman I want to marry. And I made a list of things. And when I was dating a woman, if she ever missed one of those boxes, I was like, Nope, this relationship ends right here. <laughs> I was not a very patient or kind or accepting person back then. But thankfully, I met a woman who actually checked all the boxes and said, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Quit looking because you found somebody who she checked all the boxes. And what what more do you want? (laughs) But, yeah, there's there's definitely been a process over 20 years, 21 years now of marriage of growing into that nature of each other like you mentioned with your wife. Yeah, and I feel like – the 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 cheaty and um ellen eleanor eleanor thank you i uh, uh, one week of this show <laughs> I, don't have much. I do not remember all the names um i i see them like slowly going along and getting closer and closer and closer um and growing into that person who could be defined as a soulmate okay. right i see that that's where the characters would eventually go. Um, but soulmates, like you're meant to be with this person. I just find that I'm not that fatalistic in, okay. in my belief system. I actually liked something you threw out there and I think I'm going to adopt it, which is there's not a soulmate for you, but you can become someone's soulmate through effort and it's not exactly what you said, but that's how I'm taking what you said. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know that I would have uh, said it that eloquently. You're, you're not, you're not Calvinist enough to believe that there's a soulmate for you predetermined before you were born, right. and yet you can become someone's soulmate through the effort and the growing of the relationship together. Yeah, within our religion, like I get really frustrated with people who are like that. They're like, <laughs> "Oh, we knew each other." And it was like, ah, it's like, no, stop it. You're, no, that's not real. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Let's see. We already talked about the tiny house right next to the mansion. Oh, clowns. What is it with people and clowns, man? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've never been scared of them. I've never been enthusiastic about them either. But it's just sort of like, okay, they exist and all right. I'd say the strongest emotion I have for clowns is probably a sort of pity. Like I feel bad that that is your job <laughs> is to put on that makeup and that outfit and go out and be at that emotional level all day long for everyone else around you. That is not my personality in any way, shape or form. So there is, it's a officially recognized uh, fear of clowns is colrophobia. Okay. Colrophobia or something like that. 
Um, and yeah, that's a recognized fear um, within the psychological community. Okay. I'm sure. I mean, everyone has their own weird neurosis, and so I. Why couldn't anything be? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I was more curious to see if you had a perspective on it, particularly personal experiences or something that would lead to a, a good conversation there. Uh, okay. The video system. You can view your own life. Yeah, I would like to do that. What moments would you go watch from Peter Nash's life? Oh gosh. I can think of several that I would not want to watch. Okay. <laughs> um, I think some interactions with my parents when they were teaching me something and I was just so incredibly oblivious. That I missed <laughs> whatever it was they were teaching me. Like my dad is incredibly like, he's just mechanical. Like he understands mechanical stuff, electrical stuff. Um, he wired my brother's home, right? And it's not because he has special training. He was not an electrician. He is not a mechanic. He just took the time to figure it out. He just has this brain that has understood these things because over the years it's sort of like, well, I can pay someone to do this or I can go figure it out myself. Right. Yep. And, you know, 40 years ago, that's what you did. You you figured stuff out yourself. You, you didn't have to, to do that. Um, so I think that may be... Okay. I mean, I, I, uh, what, what, what's on your list? I think most of it would be mistakes that I've made. I would like to go back and watch them again from a non-emotionally engaged perspective and see what could I have done differently there? How could I have responded better? and try to learn and, and grow from the experience of watching myself negatively react emotionally. Cringe fractor would be too hard. That like, Ooh, ah, well, why, well, did, so why did that, I do? That? My problem is that I already replay those moments all the time in my own mind, but I know I'm not a truly objective observer. And my sense of this video system is that it allows you to be a completely object, objective observer in the events that are going on. Right. So I would be able to remove the filter of, I only heard this. You actually said that, but I heard this because of all the filters of emotional baggage that your words pass through on the way into my brain. Right, right. Anyway, that's that's how I would probably end up abusing that particular tool. <laughs> I'd like that. I, frankly, I'm more interested in watching other people. Okay. Right? I want to see their perspective and, and what they did. Like, I want to know... Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Mm-hmm. That, that these major historical things that caused massive shifts in in culture in society. Uh, that, you just want to uh, know why he agreed to hold that gun for the CIA? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or or what they were or or, or who who it was that uh, who was on the grassy knoll? <laughs> no, Jack Ruby. Why? Who, who managed to uh, convince him that he needed to kill Lee Harvey Oswald and yeah, yeah. keep him quiet? Uh, you know, th- there are various hinge points of like epic things that happen throughout history that's sort of like, well, I wish I knew why that was the case, right? I yeah. mean, we get sort of like, uh, uh, there's the one of the episodes later on talks about the Nixon. They actually play Nixon tapes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, it was Nixon karaoke. <laughs> right, Nixon karaoke. <laughs> the, the Jews in this country need to learn. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't even know anymore. That was just really funny. <laughs> that was really funny. Really funny. Like, well done for them to pull that in and use it. Uh, I loved I, I loved Janet. I think she's probably one of the most fantastic characters on the entire show. I think she's my favorite character, like uh, of what I've watched season one. Like, I think she's easily the, my favorite character. Yeah, she she gets so much more depth and development as a character over the sort, course of the seasons. But uh, I, I bring that up because there's the moment where they ask her, "What's the bad place like?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. That's one of the things I'm not allowed to tell you. But I can play you this brief audio clip of what's going on there right now." And I've watched the show. This is my third time through watching the show. And I never caught this before. One of the people screaming in the background screams, the bear has two mouths. <laughs> it's just, just a random thing that I caught this time that I hadn't caught last time. Um, with, um, well, I, I mean, this gets too much into... It's do they make a separate Janet for right? Cause they, they talk about her being the good place, Janet, and there's the bad place. Janet is there's one for each neighborhood. Oh, there's one for each neighborhood. Okay. Okay. That, that, that's helpful for, uh, for me. And, and they don't ever really get super deep into it in the show, but it's, clear contextually that the bad place also has neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So the bad place isn't just one amalgam of all the bad people. They have their own neighborhoods as well, where they get their own specific tortures set up. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, they, they do have a early, very early in episode one, they give away the big twist. Eleanor talking about her parents says they're dead. She says they're both dead now. I'm sure they're both in a bad place. Maybe they're being used to torture each other because that would totally work. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. When, when my wife and I watched it the first time, I was like, you know, that'd be really interesting if that's what was going on right now. And so I actually picked up on that the first time and it kind of spoiled, if you will, the, the season for me. Cause I was like, yep. Like, all through the first season, I kept picking up the clues. I'm like, oh, yeah, good. this is going back to that comment. These people are being used to torture each other. Yeah, it, it, looking back on it, it's sort of like there were things that just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Frozen yogurt is an incredibly poor substitute to ice cream, right? And there's frozen yogurt everywhere. You are going to love season two. They explain why it's frozen yogurt. Okay, great, great. Uh, uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, but so there's that. There is, um, I'm going to get this wrong, tahini, right? That's tahani. the joke. Tahani, thank you. Um, like there was just parts of her that was like, how can she be a good person? Like there's no way she is a good person. No one can be that self-obsessed and be a good person. Yeah. And, or, and, or the guys that are like so over the top, like the guy who's like, so then I told that guy, Yes, I want you to have both of my kidneys. I know we just met on this bus 10 minutes ago, but you will live. <laughs> like, no, sorry. 
Sorry, that's not possible. That person never existed. <laughs> yeah, and as things went on, there were like too many things seemed broken. Like if this was supposed to be this great universe place of you know that's all structured and, and well put together, like how can they make this many mistakes? Yeah. Like at come the end of the season, it's sort of like wow, okay, they you know were subtly layering in these yep. things that you know would lead up to this. Uh, okay, so Ch- Chidi tells Eleanor when she, she she's trying to convince him, you got to help me so I don't go to the bad place. He says, help me out here. Tell me one good thing you've done. So, Peter, tell me one good thing you've done. Um, I have, for my wife, on several occasions, like, taken the... the um, our child and, you know, just sort of taking care of him for the day or parts of the day so that she could totally focus on the things she was doing. That's just being a parent, Peter. I, I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. <laughs> I, I do. I get that. Uh, but like for her, the way she views our relationship and where we're at, you know, she left her employment and the whole idea was, she wanted to stay at home with, with our child and raise him because we didn't gotcha. want somebody else raising him. Um, and I was going to be the, the, the breadwinner person. Yeah. yeah. So I have a bunch of other things I also do. So she takes care of the home, the child, and then she also has this external thing. I take, you know, have my job and I also, you know, occasionally take care of the the child, the home where it was necessary. I jumped in. So I'm counting that as a good. I I just thought it was interesting because when they ask that, I'm like, well, geez, when you put me on the spot, I'm not sure I can come up with anything. I like, I feel like I've done good things, but like being quizzed on that all of a sudden you have to go. I don't know. I guess I, when I was a Boy Scout, I probably helped some old ladies across the street or something. I don't know. No, you didn't. I have given multiple hugs to people that needed those hugs. Okay. And How about a neutral thing? People who did not need those hugs. <laughs> so then the follow-up question is, okay, tell me a neutral thing that you've done. Because that's what TV follows up with. Just tell me a neutral thing. I'm like, how do you answer that? <laughs> I guess I took the train to work. It wasn't net evil because I wasn't making my own carbon footprint impact. But I'm not sure it was a good thing either. I could have worked from home that day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is a hard question that uh, or a situation that uh, Eleanor puts Cheaty in at the end of, of uh, episode one. You know, you, you, whatever happens, you will always stand by my side, right? Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, of course. And then it's, oh, I, I shouldn't be here. I'm a terrible person, right? And then he's now in this conundrum. Like, that's you can't expect somebody to have to follow through with <laughs> a statement like that and live up to it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready to move to episode two? Yes. Flying. In, uh, order to, 
In order to convince Chidi she's worthy of his efforts, Eleanor gives up flying lessons to instead help clean up the neighborhood. However, she tries to take a shortcut, causing a catastrophic trash storm before she genuinely learns her lesson and cleans up all the garbage. (laughs) What's sad is they're doing all of these things and it genuinely is making her a better person. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, do you want, would you want to fly? Oh yes. Uh, so much that I've often said, if I get a terminal disease and it is 100% guaranteed to be terminal, I probably will rent an airplane, go up, dive out and take the parachute off and just head first as fast as I can until it's over. I just think that would be the feeling that wind in my face and just like, oh, okay, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it might be fun, but I'm not that like over the moon about it. I mean, it's fun, fun to experience kind of once, but and sort of like, okay, I did that. And I don't ever have to do it again. No, I, so, I mean, it goes back to the only thing I ever genuinely wanted to be in my life was an astronaut. And that was because that was as close as I was going to get to actually flying. Yeah. Being up there in space and weightless would be the next best thing. Uh, so the other thing that, uh, again, looking back is sort of one of those like, okay, this should have been assigned to me, but in watching episode two, um, Someone asked Janet, like, hey, what if I need to do this in incognito mode? She's like, what kind of pornography would you like to watch? (laughs) It was really good. Which, if this is the good place, like, why is pornography allowed? Like, I should, that should have been one of those things that is, you know, tips you off. Because I don't. No, no. So you got to remember, Janet genuinely believes this is a good place. She is a good place, Janet. Right. Pornography is allowed in good places. That's my point. It. I don't think it should be. Okay. (laughs) And there's a lot that goes into it. I. I don't really want to open the pornography can of worms, right? Because there's a lot to really to consider with that. You know, including women's rights and um, the opportunity to make money and, you know, it doesn't hurt anyone or does it quote, quote unquote, doesn't hurt anyone. Um, And in my mind, looking back, you know, having seen the entire season sort of like that should have been a clue that this is not a good place. Um, Hmm. And the other thing I want to say about incognito mode is I had a friend who on Facebook ranted one day about incognito mode for their browser. And it's like, she just called it porn mode. And I was like, okay, okay, from your perspective, that's probably what it would be like. And, and what probably a lot of people use it as, but there's some really legitimate reasons to have incognito mode. And I just don't think you've lived in the world where that is necessary, right? Yeah. In, in our world, the, the, the web development that we're a part of, like, that's an essential tool. Like, it is a valuable tool for sure. Yeah, it, it totally is. And then if you want to go and browse the internet and not have all of the junk that is the privacy, you, yes, the privacy right? is another valid aspect. 
anyway, I just felt bad because if her perspective was like, this is all bad. Like there is no good that can come from incognito mode. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on that? You don't have to just. Uh, so I actually use a browser, right? The brave browser that is basically like incognito mode all the time. Mm. It is because I, uh, so I am one of those people that does worry a lot about my privacy online. As I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, and I know I've told you, I actually have different online identities that I will use. I log into Google as different people, not real people, people that I've created fictionally electronically, so that any browsing I do about a particular product or service gets attached to that guy and not to the actual Joey Smith persona that I use on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's why, you know, um, you you've mentioned this, like you had brought me in as part of like your YouTube uh, group for a while, which had no ads associated with it. And you know, you had to remove me off because you needed to put somebody else on and sort of like, Oh yeah, no big deal. And you said, Oh, well actually you can for these um, entities that you have through work and through this other one, you can use them and then they won't have any ads associated with them. It's like, yeah, but I've already got, like the YouTube thing, like it's the experience that I want. I, I want, I don't want to have to go and like refigure that out. <laughs> yeah, actually that's, that's a, the YouTube preference list is a good example of why I have these separate identities because there is one persona that when I log into him, man, he gets the right wing crackpot stuff. <laughs> Just swamp, and, and you know, all I did, I watched two different videos on that profile and immediately got sent down this rabbit hole of, flat earth (laughs) just things that i'm like like look i'm a conservative guy but i'm pretty convinced the earth is round you don't don't need to convince me on that one (laughs) anyway yeah it is interesting uh a note i made no no reason to comment or discuss it but all i see are just attractive people so are only attractive people in the good place okay i i think all people are attractive but life beats you down to the point of, you know, you make certain decisions and, and then in other places, those who have more money have the opportunity to buy better clothes, buy better experiences, and just, you know, life doesn't beat them down to okay. the point of, you know, this. Maybe everyone really is attractive in the world but because of their life scenario, they've been beat down. And if we all get to the good place, maybe there's all just really attractive people there because I don't know. Could be. Uh, there, there was an opportunity here for a great joke that I think they missed. She, uh, Eleanor talks about how there should be a medium place. Yeah. And she says Cincinnati. I should get to go to Cincinnati. <laughs> they should have gone with Pittsburgh. Because there's a Calvin and Hobbes where they're sitting down and Calvin says, where do you think we go when we die? Yes. And Hobbes says, Pittsburgh. And Calvin says, you mean if we're good or if we're bad? Like that would have been the perfect joke to tie into. I wish they would have chosen Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's a shame. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, do you lie for someone? Choices and consequences? Right. I, uh, I'll just really, everybody thinks consequence is a negative thing. I, it's not negative. It's, 
you make a decision, there's a consequence. That there's happens. an outcome of some kind. There's yeah. an outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's unfair that consequence gets the negative rap that it does. It's just, this is what happens, right? You do this thing, child of mine, I am now going, we're going to go sit on the steps for 30 <laughs> seconds and you know, you're just going to have to, you know, deal with this consequence. It seems negative, but when you're really sweet, I give you a hug. That was also a consequence. Okay. Uh, it's at this point that I made the note. There's a, a reading list on goodreads.com that is called the good place reading list. And I'm going to send you a link and I want you to put it up with the post. And it's all, all the books that are even mentioned or seen on a shelf anywhere in the TV show. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That's, I'm glad somebody did that. I don't want to go and read any of those things. I've actually read a few of them. I had already read a few of them. Like I was already familiar right, sure. with a few of them. I, but, uh, I, I think there, there are a few of them that at some point I, as I've looked into, I'm like, Oh, that actually sounds kind of interesting. I'd like, like the, what we owe each other book sounds actually legitimately interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where was it? Uh, I wrote down a couple utilitarianism, contractualism, are two that sound like part of me was like, I wouldn't mind learning more about those kinds of things. Yeah. Utilitarianism is a good example of one that takes what's genuinely a really good idea and takes it to such an extreme that it starts to become a negative in my opinion. Mm, Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was a big utilitarian uh okay i i the only, only thing i have comes right at the end of the episode so do you have anything else about this episode hmm no i mean i we've talked about this before would you lie for someone and i think there's a spectrum right i would totally lie for some people uh but it, the concept like the the implication would have to be you know really small right i have uh, uh, lied to people about, you know, when, when my wife was first pregnant, I was like, totally told that lie. No, nope. <laughs> we're, not, we're not having a kid. And then yeah. you know, uh, that was a weird example, but on the other end, like, Oh, I killed someone last night. Uh, I was going to say, Pete, if you're, if you're trying to ask the question, yes, I will still help you hide the body. <laughs> no, I just need you to tell that I was, you were with me from 10 PM until 2 AM. Every, every night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and would, would you like, I think you're in the same boat as I am, right? There, there are people that I would even tell massive lies for. Mm, interesting. Depen- depending on what I was helping them do. So I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell the massive, I'm not going to tell a lie for most people just to make their lives a little easier. But if we were living under a totalitarian government, and you were hiding in my basement, I would absolutely, or, you know, you were hiding somewhere and they came and said, tell us where Peter is. I'm like, don't know. I haven't talked to him in months. Yeah. So it depends on what the purpose of the lying is. I I definitely make a value judgment there when people ask me that kind of thing. Okay, cool. So then the, the last note I have for here is at the very end of the episode, Eleanor goes out at night when everyone else thinks everyone else is in bed and legitimately cleans up the neighborhood. But when Chidi comes and catches her doing it, she lies about it. 
her initial response is, oh, yeah, I just came and cleaned up the the one thing that I did. And he's like, no, I'm looking here, and you've cleaned up the entire neighborhood. I just thought that was an interesting peek into Eleanor's character that even when she did something right, she's not comfortable being honest about it. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. I've got nothing else for okay. that episode. Which, by the way, like we've been going now for an uh, hour and a half. Okay. We're not going to get through this entire season. <laughs> well, so I, I am down to my last two pages of notes. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We can keep going. All right, let's try. Let's try. Uh, let's at you know, least you tell me when you need to quit. Because yeah, okay, fair enough. I've got a lead butt, so. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Episode three. Episode three. Tahani Al Jamil. By, be- by, by the way, sorry before you go in. Like it wasn't until episode twelve that I realized the episodes had actual names. Oh, they had titles. <laughs> it was just chapter one, chapter two. And I thought, oh, what a really great way of doing this. Just <laughs> Why do you have to go to all that work to come up with some witty title? And now I feel bad that I had never looked at any of those titles. Okay, all right. So, uh, whatever writer wrote them, I'm sorry. Okay, so... Chidi begins teaching Eleanor about ethics, starting by being kind to the woman in the mansion next door. Um, let's see here. My note, uh, first one is, what would you do with infinite time and resources? Infinite. So that's that's tough because... Like, that's what I assume that they're living in, right? I'm not sure how long it would take me to learn everything that I find interesting well enough that I could do it all. Um, I could easily spend 10 to 15 years just learning how to paint. I really desperately want to learn how to paint, but I don't have the kind of time to dedicate to it that I'd ever become good enough that I was satisfied with it. Right. And so I just don't even start. And that's frustrating to me. It's like there's all these things that I think are interesting that I would, I would love to learn to be able to do and to have that skill at my command. And I would enjoy looking at my own art. But if I – can't dedicate enough energy to get myself to that point, I'm not even going to start it. And so I don't know about infinite, but I certainly think I could knock out a couple thousand years pretty quickly. Just studying all the the topics I'm interested in, learning how to paint, learning how to draw, finally finishing a novel that I wrote wrote myself. And yeah, I I think that there's thousands, at least a thousand years, 2000 years worth of things I already want to do that I know I'm never going to get a chance to do in this life. So I had one of those, um, there was a guy who moved into uh, the, the church congregation that I attend who spoke Spanish. Uh, he grew up in a Spanish speaking country. He speaks English. He's bilingual. And I was like, man, this guy, you know, I'm, this guy's an, an impressive person. And I was like, you know what? I, I took Spanish lessons in high school, like I have a like <laughs> rudimentary understanding of the language. Um, I bet it's just a matter of I need to get a bigger vocabulary in order to be able to uh, communicate. And so I started doing Duolingo. And it was great. It was sort of like 
doing these little mini, mini, mini lessons. Um, and I was, did it for about a month. And then I was just bored. I, I don't know how to say it otherwise. Like maybe I'm a terrible person, but I was just like, yeah, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. And I felt so bad that I, like, I refused to delete the app for a while. I still get the emails to, like, one of the things they sent me, uh, one of the emails was, hey, we've noticed you haven't logged in for a while. Would you like to take a break from doing this? Um, And it's like, if I had infinite time, Right, maybe I would go and bother to learn additional languages and and study different things, um, but I had enough time to do it. I was just really lazy. Mm. So if I had infinite time, would I actually give it, or would I still be that really lazy person? You don't know. I I, I know myself well enough to say. If I knew I had the time and could dedicate the time, I, there are things I absolutely know I would do. I agree with that. I think that's the understanding your personality the way I do. I totally agree with that. I think. Okay, so there's a, a phrase in this episode. She talks about, she's talking to Chini. She's like, you just want me to be nice and make friends and treat others with mutual respect? <laughs> and Chini says, yes, that's what everyone wants to do. <laughs> And I made the note, this is why coronavirus isn't bugging me as bad as some other people. Because <laughs> I don't have to go out and be nice and make friends and treat others with mutual respect. Everyone else is starting to see the world a little bit my way. I see people at the grocery store, they look at each other like, don't come any closer to me, you jerk. What are you trying to do? <laughs> the world is coming around to my point of view, Peter. And I'm not even saying I was a germaphobe. I just genuinely disliked people most of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's pretty funny. I didn't pick up on that. Uh, I don't know if, if any of our old listeners are still going to tune in or if they're going to be interested in this content. But uh, I remember listener Brainy Smurf was always kind of my touchstone for uh, Eastern culture and yes. and what's true and false about that. I'd be curious to hear from him if he tunes into this. Are pears really a sign of bad luck in Eastern culture? Oh, that's too bad. Pears are delicious. I, I love a pear. We're actually considering putting in some fruit trees and pears are on the short list. Pears and peaches for me. Yeah. Uh, you can have a pear if we get a tree. Okay. Um, this, uh, uh, in order to be good, you have to do good, right? There's always been this, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, doing versus being right and and in order to be good you have to actively get out there and do good and i think that's the case and i think you can do good without being a good person right we've seen eleanor do this in this uh, uh these episodes um but in inside your heart in order to say you really are a good person like i think that like the output of that will be you doing good things gotcha. to help actively try and help other people and not just like 
oh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a jerk today, and therefore I'm a good person. I, I passively was good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love the title of Chidi's paper, Who We Are and Who We Are Not, colon, Practical Ethics and Their Application in the Modern, modern World, semicolon, a treatise. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good. There was, was a lot of paper in in his dissertation there. Yeah. They uh, they try to get Chidi to do some, some other things outside of his normal ballywick, if you will. And he mentions that he has what's called directional insanity. <laughs> I'm curious to know if A, that's a legitimate condition that anyone has ever been diagnosed with, and B, if so, how did they navigate life just in general? Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you find the toilet every day? <laughs> just wander from room to room until you find one that has a toilet in it? <laughs> No, you just put a toilet in every room. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the one thing you, there. you just drop trial and go. Yeah. <laughs> when the need happens, you don't want to have to try and find it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote down this quote. I think I hope I get it right. Uh, There's plenty of time in eternity for things to change, and I love that idea. That um, that's what I hold in in the afterlife. Like, yes, this is the time for you to be tested and to do whatever you're going to do and then be judged on it. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that's inherently unfair about this life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that once we get to the other side, that, that like, if there is still a chance for you to improve and, um, make yourself a better person. And I, I genuinely believe that. I, I would agree with that. Uh, okay, there's so in one of the flashbacks, there's a guy named Andy who plays a sexual molester coffee shop owner. Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. So, yes. I was like, gosh, who is that guy? I had to look him up online and I found him. He's He plays the character of Michelangelo in a video that I think you might find moderately funny, Pete. It's called, it's from College Humor. It's called Eight People Who Have Accomplished More Than You at Your Age. And it's this one guy, and it shows him at different points in his life. He's like, hey, Mom, I'm eight years old, and I learned how to play the recorder. I learned how to play this song, Ba Ba Black Sheep. And then it camera pans over, and there's an eight-year-old Amadeus Mozart saying, oh, yeah, I just finished composing my first symphony. Anyway, so it does that, like, keeps jumping to different parts in his life. At one point, he shows him 22 years old. He's sitting on the couch, and I can't remember who the person is that comes in. And then when it pans back to him, it says he's 26 years old, and he hasn't moved at all. <laughs> he's like, wait, what just happened? I haven't changed at all. <laughs> it, it's it's not laugh out loud funny, but I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. You should check it out. That's how. That's what I think of most of college humor stuff. Yeah. I can't say that I've ever really laughed out loud for them. I will say uh, Zach Galifianakis's show Between Two Ferns, which started, Is that a a col- started on College Well, that's where I first saw it, was on College Humor. Okay. Um, I don't that, find it that funny. The first time I saw it, I just could not stop laughing at the awkwardness of it 
and the fact that he just kept going when it was clear that the other actor had no idea what was going on and what they'd signed up for. He just kept going. (laughs) They're like, I don't understand what's going on here, Zach. And he's like, I I don't know. Anyway, pretty funny stuff. Everyone here is really into hugging. I'm okay with that. Nah. We live in a society now where we don't. And I, um, so coronavirus talk. I think, can we make shaking hands go away? Can that societally, like, we just like, okay, this is how so many diseases are passed back and forth (laughs) between us. Now we're elbow bumping each other from now on. If we stop shaking hands, we can cut down on the amount of disease. And I, my nephews, uh, like I've been texting with them and they multiple times, like, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I'm not going back to handshaking and I'm just going to tell people like, well, I, I don't do this anymore because of what happened with coronavirus. I just, I don't shake hands. And I personally like, I like shaking hands. I enjoy that physical human interaction. I love hugs. Um, but for the rest of this year, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm not shaking hands. With How about a fist bump? Are you okay with a no, fist bump? No, no. It's too close, huh? Nothing. Yeah, nothing at all. Uh, I'm okay with a fist bump. I'm okay with a handshake. A hug is too much. Yeah, yeah, I, yep, that's correct. Uh, so Darcy Carden, who's the lady who plays Janet, I just – Oh, okay. She gets to show so much range as a character – as an actress throughout the course of that. I can't remember what it was in this episode that made me write that note down, but uh, there's also, I, I don't know why I wrote this note. I wrote naming a dog, which I, <laughs> I mean, I know what I, what made me write. I know what I was thinking of when I wrote that. I just don't remember the line or the event in the show. that made Is me. Is this the episode where he kicks the dog into the sun? No, that was the previous episode. Oh, it's, okay. Teacup that he kicked in the sun. No, I swear there's somebody said something about. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to mention that our dog, Augie, so he's named that because we got him in August. Oh, okay. All right. So that's our, like, and, and so here's, here's the, actually the funny story about the dog is we went and we looked at dogs and my daughter and my wife really kind of glommed onto this one dog. But we just went down to just look. I'm like, we're going to go down. We're going to look a couple times. We're going to take them out, get to know these dogs before we decide which one we're going to adopt. I went to work the next day and got a text message. By the way, just so you know, we went down back down to the shelter and got that dog and came home with us. And it's like, oh, well, I'm glad we made this decision together. <laughs> and then I got home and he'd already been named. I was like, wow. Really feeling connected to this dog, guys. <laughs> um, the uh, the name of the dog, like, I, you know, it doesn't seem terribly original. Um, and I just wanted to share the name of my dog that I was so close to growing up, uh, Stray. <laughs> nice. Because it was a stray. It just <laughs> showed up, and it was this wonderful dog. And so, okay, you're Stray. Come on, Stray. Let's go. Yep. So my dog when I was a child was Akito. Oh, that sounds interesting. He was a chow, and they're, they're a dog that's known very much for being defensive of their owners. And Aikido is a defensive martial art. 
Oh, where, okay. you, where you're taking the force of your opponent and using it against them. That was how I took that name. So. Okay. Um, let's see. There's bad stuff everywhere. Should we even try? Um, yes. Yeah, because that there's a this a fatalism to that as well. It's like, oh yeah, we can't possibly overcome this, and maybe you can't, but that doesn't mean you should just give up and not try to do good or be an actively good person. I, I will say that for myself, the process of trying to do self improvement is rewarding enough in itself that it keeps me going. Like. Even if I don't, I, I know I'm never going to get over some, well, I don't know, but I suspect I will never get over some of the emotional baggage that I have from my childhood, but right. I still try to do better. And, and the emotional positive feedback that I get from myself for the effort is enough to keep the ball rolling and to keep me trying and applying myself. Uh, let's see. The next thing I have is the end of the episode. Do you have anything else? No, I've got nothing else. So the only last note I had is that I think the big reveal about Jianyu comes too early. Really? You think so? Yeah, I thought so. I thought they should have stretched it out a couple more episodes. It makes Eleanor seem more neurotic, though. Right? Because in the end, she feels like she's the one who's leaving herself the notes, right? Yes, I love that. <laughs> she's like, this is your own guilty conscience giving you these notes. I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> All right, episode four then. Okay. Jason Mendoza. It turns out Eleanor isn't the only mistake in the neighborhood. Jianyu turns out to actually be Jason Mendoza, an EDM DJ from Jacksonville, Florida, who is sick of pretending to be Jianyu. In order to prevent him from blowing both of their cover, Eleanor creates a sinkhole in the middle of the Good Place neighborhood, and Chidi invites Jason to join his classes. Yeah, um, I like uh, the character. But he gets a little old. Like okay. the, 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 he's too stupid. I just don't believe that they're that, like somebody's really that stupid. I, lo- I love in the later episode when they reveal that part of the reason they confused Jason for John Hughes because they actually had the same IQ. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason's like, dope. But he's like, no. <laughs> that guy stopped learning when he was seven. <laughs> um, I, I um, like it's a nice twist. I'm glad it came around, but like that when it happened, it, it sort of has me, you know, going with the whole. Um, if this is really like this well architected, you know, afterlife, like how can they get so many things wrong? Like again, looking back on it, sort of like yeah. maybe that should have been a clue, but it. I was definitely sitting there thinking. Mm, th- this seems odd that they're just getting so much wrong. Um, oh, this is the episode where I take uh, where I talk about soulmates. Um, they okay. take a long time to come together. Okay. Uh, so we see a little bit of Jason's life on Earth, and we see him becoming this EDM, standing in for this famous EDM DJ. Yep. And he has what I think may be one of my favorite lines in all of television. These cheers hit my ears like boxing gloves of sadness. <laughs> I wonder how many takes it took to say that line with a straight face. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I did write down this note, a place you can go when you just want to be yourself, right? He has this separate little area that is just, you know, the butthole. (laughs) (laughs) That Tahani does never come into. Uh, And I felt like, as you've pointed out, I felt like they missed an opportunity for a cheers reference. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's loose. It's super, super loose, but you know, you want to go where everybody knows yes. your name. Um, I, it's not right. It's not perfect. Uh, but that's what I thought of um, when that is happening. And I don't know. I hope we get a cheers joke sometime uh, in, in this series. I, 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 don't, think I don't remember getting one, but there's a lot of jokes. I could have missed it. Yeah. Uh, okay. My next note is I definitely cannot tell good EDM from bad EDM. Oh, yeah. I, they sounded like the same thing. Like he plays his song and everyone's like, oh, this is terrible. And I'm like, it sounds the same as what he was just playing a second ago. I, I don't get Like I listen to uh, uh, Tyler, one of the, the uh, coworkers that we have. Um, he, like we used to be in uh, the same office. Like we have a much bigger office now. We used to have just this one person office with five desks. And occasionally he would take off his headphones or he'd unplug and there would just be this techno beat that was just drumming through. And I was like, how in the world do you manage to do anything? He's like, yeah, I just need something so like terrible to just block everything else out so that I can focus. And I'm like, I don't get that. Like, I don't understand how you develop. Use a white noise website, brother. Uh, Are suspenders dumber than belts? Michael says that they are, or maybe it's Tahani. Michael and Tahani are talking about suspenders, and one of them says that suspenders are so much dumber than belts. Uh, I don't know. Why is that true? Uh, I think it's Michael talking about them. Um, And I think it's because... um, They're certainly harder to put on than a belt. Nobody uses them anymore. Belts are a more superior way to to deal with keeping your pants, excuse me, your trousers up. And I felt like they missed an opportunity for a a suspenders joke with the very British Tahani. Okay. Uh, Because suspenders in in Britain lore and maybe other places, they're the things that hold your stockings up. Uh, you know, oh, okay. your, your nylons for, for women, um, back before they had nylons and you had this garter belt that went around your waist and then they had these little things that dangled down and they would clip into your stockings. Right. Right. And th- they, those were suspenders. Okay. So in Britain, they're called bracers. The things that go, that hold your trousers up that go over your shoulder. They're bracers. Okay. All I can say is that I wish that in the professional work environment we lived in, that you and I work in every day, that the uh, overall was still an acceptable <laughs> mode of dress. My wife was doing some shopping and she uh, she came in to tell me, she's like, honey, you're not going to believe this. Overalls are coming back as a fashion sense. <laughs> It's like, I, this is what I wore in high school. Like, we, it's finally coming back around every 20 years. It's just, that's, that's what happens with fashion. I'm not against it. I could, 
I actually, I own a pair of overalls, my painter's overalls. Um, so if you would like, you give me the word, I'll show up with my overalls to work, Joey. We can be well, the overall twins. But what's great right now is that nobody cares what I wear to work every day, as long as I'm fully dressed when I get on the camera. <laughs> Quite right. Uh, Tahani's family, man, what a what a hot mess that group of people is. Yeah. I genuinely started to feel bad for her at that point. Like up until that point, I found her to be a pretty unsufferable character. Uh-huh. But when you see the way her sister was and the way her parents reacted to the two of them, I was just like, okay, all right, you get a little sympathy from me now. That was that was pretty rough. Yes, yeah, indeed. Look, I drew a birdie. Oh, I made this statue of a bird. I moved out of my <laughs> – I can't even remember now. Out of this phase and into this other phase. Uh, okay, so the, the sinkhole fixes itself in this episode, which, as Michael points out, is terrible news. Mm. Things fixing themselves is the worst thing ever. Because now you don't know what caused it, and you don't know what fixes it, and you don't know when it's going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, in general, like the thing that I wanted to talk about is sinkholes are terrifying. Like they are just this awful geological event that you cannot plan for. Yeah. And it just. If the Earth decides to open up and just l- allow everything to, f- you know, fall into them, that's what's going to happen. And there's like an earthquake. We can engineer structures to be able to withstand them and not just pancake down and, and collapse and kill everyone. You can't do that with sinkholes. <laughs> and, and so I, I am so grateful. Right? We had an earthquake here a month and a half ago. Yep. I am so grateful that that's what we have to face here. Sinkholes, hurricanes, tornadoes, like there's nothing you can do with that stuff. There are tornadoes here sometimes. Well, yes, but not to the extent that the Midwest does. Uh, And like, that's just normal. That that's just what they deal with. And uh, I, 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 that's just terrifying. The earth just opening up and swallowing you whole. I can't. That's the. Uh, that's just nightmarish kinds of stuff. Yeah, I've I've done this before, where I tried to go look up and try to understand what the root cause of sinkholes is and, and where those come from, and I've never found a good information on it. Well, one key thing is going to be water, right? So there's a lot of sinkholes in Florida, and Florida is a very wet kind of environment, um, and so that's. There's going to be some underlying thing that, you know, either the, the water has been, you know, slowly trink, trickling in through it and it just has eroded everything else away. Or there's some underground thing that also, again, has just been eroding everything down below it. And all the surface stuff is just all of a sudden it has nothing to hold it up anymore. Right. And I, I always assumed it was like under underground erosion, but. Yeah. It's not one of those things where you go look for like what causes a sinkhole and there's just not a lot of information about it. Yeah. Okay. That's, Oh, you know, I just realized I haven't given any of my ratings. (laughs) Everything is fine. I gave a seven flying. I gave a seven Tahani Aljamil. I gave a six Jason Mendoza. I gave a six. I really enjoy, I didn't do any ratings because I, again, completely forgot. Uh, (laughs) That was the thing. (laughs) Um, 
and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it as a first episode. You know, we've always talked about how episode one of anything can be rough, always rough. This wasn't. It was very entertaining, well put together. Yeah. And, and granted, it's a comedy. It's a sitcom, so like it, it's already got a lot kind of going for it. It can really set itself up, and it's short, so it's not you know a big long thing. Well, uh, and and they really have some serious all stars. I mean, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but Ted Danson and Kristen Bell are two of my favorite. Yeah, they're actors they're, in the sense of their ability to portray a character. You sure? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I, you know what? I I miss Becker. <laughs> You remember that show? Uh, absolutely. Like this, this curdled individual, you know, per, uh, human piece of humanity that is, you know, just awful to everyone. I think you're misrepresenting Becker. Yeah. It's, it has been a while since I watched it, but. The, the secret of Becker was that he actually had a heart of gold. Oh, I see. I see. He just didn't like people discovering it. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, if we're going to move on to episode five, I'm going to say like, I'm kind of tired Okay. and I'm, I'm, it's Sunday tomorrow. So I am the one who's getting up with the child at six 30. Uh, so I think so let's I'm, call it. Yeah. I think I better call it here and then we can kind of pick stuff up. Maybe the next few episodes will go faster. I don't know. Oh, the places you go with your eyes so wide, with your heart in your hand and your sword at your side. Oh, the mountains you move, oh, the tears you cry, oh, the places you go. Oh, the places you go with your eyes so wide, with your heart in your hand.